0: John 3. Father God, would you open the word to us? We love your word. It is life to us. And this chapter 3 is one of the most brightest lights in the entire Bible. And we ask for revelation for us. Open eyes and open ears, soft hearts we would bring to you. I do. Lord, we love it when you go right into the very center of us and challenge us and draw us to become true disciples of Jesus Christ. We ask for that again today in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, we're I, I, we're John chapter three. I mentioned just now that there are—I mean, all of the Bible is God breathed and you know and, and anointed, but there are places, chapters that that are just high points. They're just amazing depth of revelation. Uh, Romans eight is is one of those for me. Um, <coughs> Isaiah 53, uh, I mean, you can go on and on, Genesis 1, da-da-da, that da, da. they're so important, but nothing is any more powerful than John chapter 3. This is that evening in which Jesus, in my opinion, I think he's out on the, on the hillside there in the, in the uh, uh, Mount of Olives, camping. Nicodemus, uh, one of the, Jesus will call him the teacher of Israel. So he's a very popular, very high-placed uh, Pharisee. Uh, he's in the Sanhedrin. He, maybe he comes out with all those robes on and all of that kind of thing. But he comes out at night uh, so as to not be seen. This is very controversial, very troubling what he's doing. He's sneaking out to meet with Jesus. But something he has seen and heard as he's watched Jesus has said to him, this man's from God. And that draws him, so he's literally risking his reputation to come out at night and to sit probably around the campfire with the disciples and have this conversation with Jesus. Jesus beget, talks to him, and we've, we've, we've been looking at it. He sits there, and he has this conversation, and he says to Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, for you to even see the kingdom of God, and we talked about what the kingdom of God was, do you recall? Yeah, three, do." Uh, okay. Such a, okay. That's why I write it out. Uh, you can go home and look. And, and it's the kingdom of God. And then he's also talked about being born from above. He says you must be born from above. And to be born from above, you have to be born of water and the spirit. What does it mean to be born of Water. Jesus I believe is reflecting on his own water baptism in which he was what did he do when he he was when he when he went in underwater he was not washing away sin was he what was he doing he was dying. It was a symbolic death. It was a, it was a grave. And I believe he changed the nature of Christian baptism right there. I mean, he set the tone for us all. We follow him. We, don't, we aren't just washing away our sins. We are dying with Christ. It's exactly what Paul says, by the way, isn't it? Um, in Romans 6 and elsewhere. All right. So we are dying with Christ. Have you fully surrendered to him? Have you died with him, as it were? In other words... Jesus, I will follow you to whatever cross you have for me, meaning a life of selflessness, a life of surrender, a life of service, a life of living for you. Uh, The person who's born from above, not just religious, but transformed, first of all, surrenders fully. That's not the American gospel, but that is, I think, what Jesus is teaching. And I think I see when people do that, and then it's when it's matched with that second step, born of the spirit. What is that? When you're born of the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. What happened when Jesus came up out of that water with John? He came up out of the Jordan River, the heavens were opened. So you're born from above, heavens were opened. And then the Spirit of God came down upon him like a dove, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus then had that empowering of the Holy Spirit himself. And so when you match the full surrender to the cross, and you match that with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, now you have the new birth. And he says, when that happens, you begin to be a man or woman who is directed by the spirit like the wind moves the branches and the leaves of a tree. You begin to have an unseen powerful force moving upon you. You are no longer living by rules. You're not, I mean, it doesn't mean we don't have moral standards. We're not being lawless. But you are now being led by the Spirit on a regular basis. Was Jesus led by the Spirit on a regular basis? He models exactly what he's talking about. He said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only speak what I hear the Father speak. So Jesus himself is showing us what he means by being moved by the wind of the Spirit. He is following the lead of his Father constantly. So that's our life. That is normal Christianity. That's not super spiritual people. That's what normal Christians are supposed to be doing. Do you follow that? This is our life. This is the way we live. Let of the Spirit, for we're born from above. All right. Now you are at chapter 3. I'm going to pick up at verse 11 and just read you down. I'm actually going to 19, 20, and 21, but I, I just want to rehearse this. It's so good. <laughs> Now, drill it in. Uh, truly, to me too. Truly, truly, he says, verse 11 I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? When he says we speak, we testify of heavenly things, what is Jesus saying about himself to Nicodemus? I'm from heaven. Yeah, l- l- let your eye go down. In case you think I'm reading that in, let your eye go down to verse 31. 31 and 32. John is speaking here, but he's, a, uh, uh, um, actually, John the Baptist is, and he's saying, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth. He speaks from, of the earth. He who comes from where? Amen. Is above all. What he has seen, this Jesus, and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. John the Baptist says that about him. So where does he come from? Yeah. We, you are seeing that Jesus is the Son of God, and in the Spirit he has come and become a man in the incarnation, in Mary's womb. He is a man. He's a man to this day. Um, a resurrected man. But he is... His spirit is the eternal son of God. He's not just someone else. So he says, Nicodemus, what I'm telling you isn't my opinion. What I'm telling you isn't one more rabbi having a good guess at what the uh, Torah means. I am telling you what I have seen and heard in heaven. I bring to you word right from there. Verse 13, no one ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will will in him have eternal life. I had to talk myself all the way down from home to the church to say I will not preach on that uh, today. (laughs) Just have good sense and leave them alone. Uh, But I will tell you, what a powerful image. And I have it in your study notes, in your daily Bible study. I wish you would read that section. That, that serpent, that brazen serpent where Paul, uh, me, Moses lifts the serpent up and holds it up in the camp, a dead snake. What on earth is that about? Lifts a dead snake up and then all the camp who is bitten by this poisonous venom who looks at that snake in faith is healed. What a symbol. Jesus says, that's me. That's me. Why would he do that? I tell you in your study notes. Don't read it now. Read it later. Um, But but it's in there. It's good. And he lifts. He's lifted up. And uh, picture this. Picture what's being said by this campfire to Nicodemus. And then realize that there will come a moment. When Nicodemus with his eyes. Watches Jesus lifted up on a cross. Can you imagine What went through his head? Oh my goodness. It's exactly what he said would happen. That's why he went and took his body down. That's why he came out of the closet, as it were. He just said, I'm a follower and lost everything. He saw Jesus actually do. He, He says, when that happens, whoever believes will have eternal life. And Nicodemus said, I believe and came and took his body down. Hallelujah. All right, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but through the, that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, meaning those who rejected Jesus when they encountered him. And here are the verses we're going to look at today. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear, his deeds will be exposed, actually brought out, and evaluated and, 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 uh, and judged. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested. The light may shine on them as having been worked, wrought in God. Come Holy Spirit. When God sent his son into the world, it was like placing a bright lamp in a dark room. Things that had been hidden were suddenly revealed. Wherever he went, his presence and his message exposed the deepest attitudes in each person's heart. Whether or not they fully understood who Jesus was, their human spirit intuitively recognized him and reacted immediately. Do you know what I mean by this intuitive recognition? You, can, you don't have to know with your head what you're, what, who, who it is you're with, but you can sense who they are. And so wherever Jesus went, people could simply sense his presence. He just, the spirit of the Lord is on him. You know when you're around someone anointed. You know someone is just, you can just feel it. No one has to tell you anything. Some hated him and some loved him. Some pulled away and some drew near. And when God, who knows everything about us, watched this take place, here is what he concluded. Notice how he says, this is the judgment. This is God's evaluation, his judgment of the situation. People didn't reject Jesus because they were unaware of who he was, but because they didn't want him to examine their lives and tell them to change. That's what Jesus just said. It really didn't matter if a person were religious Or non-religious. The issue that caused people to react differently was submission. Would they or would they not allow God to control their lives? Those who would not basically didn't want to submit to a moral God. Everyone likes a God as long as he'll help them. It's the moral God that we don't like. And particularly the moral God that wants us to live by his morals. <laughs> anyway, Those who made a practice of doing bad things actually hated the thought of those behaviors being exposed and corrected. They would rather flee from situations or people that made them feel guilty. In the, on the other hand, God saw that there were people who were honestly trying to do what they thought was right. When they watched Jesus minister or heard him teach. They weren't afraid he might expose what was hidden in their hearts because they knew he would understand why they did what they did. Jesus says, they, mine says, practice the truth. The, the Greek says, do truth. He that doeth truth. They knew he would see that they had been trying to obey him even if what they did was wrong. They knew he would discover they wanted to please him. And this group of people was also honest with themselves about their good deeds. They were humble and didn't take credit for them. They realized God had helped them do every good thing they had ever done. But he who practices, does truth, in other words, walks in our integrity. You and I have nothing in our lives more important than our integrity this walk with God is really not about, you know, do you sin or fail? Or, God can handle that. But honesty. Fundamental honesty with him and with ourselves. When that's gone, we're gone. When that's there, God can fix anything. That honesty. So he who practices truth walks in his or her integrity. When God looks at that person, he sees that heart, even when they're making mistakes. And, he all, and, and it says, they know that when they come to the light, when they come to him, that will be seen and that their deeds may be shown to have been worked in God. In other words, God was with them. The, the man or woman who has any humility knows, I did everything good in my life. God has done or taught me or helped me. I didn't do it myself. There's not pride. There's a humility and a recognition of God. God sent Jesus to save people, not judge them. But the fact is that wherever Jesus went, he did both. His presence and his message confronted people with a choice, and their responses revealed attitudes hidden in their hearts. Some showed their response that they were, by their response, that they were looking for a savior, and some, by their response, showed they were not. Some drew near, but most turned away, not because they didn't realize who he was, but because they didn't want him to tell them to stop doing things that they enjoy doing. Jesus pictured these two very different responses using the symbols of light and darkness. Physical light illuminates what is hidden by darkness. Spiritual light is God's Holy Spirit revealing mystery, the mysteries of God's truth to the human mind. The term darkness describes the condition of the human mind when it's unable to comprehend God's truth, either because of deception, ignorance, or willful rejection. However, we should note that in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus didn't speak of light in general. He spoke of the light. Did you notice? Using the term as a title for himself. He is the light because he perfectly reveals the heart and character of the Father. So this passage is primarily talking about how people respond to him personally and to the gospel, not simply how people respond to all forms of God's truth when they encounter it, though this is true of that as well. No human being is without sin. No human being is capable of living a life that is good enough to deserve to go to heaven. But people are very different when it comes to being honest about their failures. Some become deceitful and manipulative. They make a habit of covering up their failures and bad choices or pretending they don't exist. If they're caught, they'll lie if they can or blame it on others. If this pattern becomes a lifestyle, it affects even the way they deal with God. You can't compartmentalize. You can't lie to everybody else and be honest with God. It, it's just, it just the human is not capable of it. When he tries to show them their sin, they refuse to listen and run away. And the longer this continues, the worse it gets. I was talking with a a, a young wife a while back, and she was asking me about a, a husband who had had a, a particular um, addiction and all. And she said, you know the problem for me, she said, I, 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 I almost could live with working with the addiction. She said, but what, what I can't handle is the lying. She said, if he would just tell me the truth. And he, he, she said he'd promised to tell me the truth. If he would just tell me the truth, I could work with this. But she said, I hate lying. It makes me crazy. Doesn't it make us crazy? That's the, that, you know, the, the problem is lie, lying has a real power to it. Your, your spirit knows one thing and yet your head's being told another and you'll find there's a tension inside. It is, it, it really, it really drives you nuts. I mean, it's not just sort of information. It's, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. Haven't you found that the first step in healing is when a person finally gets honest? We call it hitting bottom. In other words, all the lies, all the excuses, all the blaming, all it was—you know—it was. I'm a victim. Look, and it's hard in our culture. We are living in a victim society, aren't we? Everybody's a victim. Well, we are. If you know, not only are you getting healed from what your parents did, but frankly, so are your children. Everybody, because we're humans. We are, we are sinful as well. as We've got our issues. And so we do the best we can. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. We damage people. And then they damage people. And they damage people. So none of us, none of us have lived in some perfect environment. None of us have had perfect parents, perfect homes, perfect lives, perfect... Have we? And so if we're looking to blame somebody, we'll always find it and it's not and i i got to be careful i know there's some horrendous things done i boy do i know i totally know and i am not being soft to this but it's the moment at which i stop blaming and i and and I, and i simply begin to be honest with god and with myself because frankly my own responses even when i've been genuinely offended my own responses are often quite fleshy. That's what I have to deal with. I have to deal with pride. I, I, you should hear me scold people in the mirror. And then every so on, the Lord will just start going, this is, this is beautiful. Thank you, Steve. And I'm just listening to myself. Self-righteous as all get out. Uh, you know, sitting there and just, in, and then the Lord says, and, and the other day he did this in particular. He, he just sort of said, let's look at your heart, Steve. And he opened it up and he, he's, you're proud, you're self-righteous, you're judging everybody left and right. Why don't you stop that? Now, was I right on the issue? Totally. But how about my response? Very, very wrong. You see what I mean? So the healing in our lives gets started has a foundation when I finally say, God, just have your way. I surrender to you. I'm not going to call one thing this or that or the other. I'm just going to look at it. I'm not even blaming. It's not about blaming anybody. It's not about me hating myself. See, that isn't the alternative either. Some kind of self-loathing. of oh, it's all my fault. Stop it. Sin and flesh is what it is. Let's look at it. And let's look at him put our hand in his, and let's walk out of this thing. And, and then when that happens, we're everyone, every one of us can walk free and begin to walk in the, 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 the calling on our lives. Because that's what the devil's going after. He's trying to nu- neutrify, nu- nu- neutralize you. <laughs> it's probably some food product. He's trying to, he, he's, he's trying to neutralize you. Uh, and keep you full of guilt, full of anger, full of shame, full of victimization. Uh, And and when you talk with people, some people come up, their leading comment is, I I was abused when I was six. You know, the first thing is, you know, I was abused. Forgetting what lies behind. I strive to lay hold of that for which I've laid hold of in Christ Jesus. I turn around. Okay, there's that. It's there. Whatever. Jesus whom I call to be. Because by faith and full of the Spirit, I can do everything you've called me to do. Do I still have to deal with some of the wounds? Sure. Might do too. So do you. But I do that honestly and in the Holy Spirit. And that's part of that character class. Bottom line, get you in the Word. Get you in prayer in the mornings. That's what our OSL does. So these skills, just get that in your life. And what will you do? You're not going to be held back by it at all. See, nobody would know the damage in my life other than my wife, who prays for me in those deep moments. Nobody knows what damaged me because I'm not controlled by it. Because in Christ, I can do everything he's asked me to do. You too. You too. doesn't matter what happened. I mean, I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying it's not an anchor to you. It is You are not ruined. You are not plan B. You are not leftover. Not in God. This isn't talk. If you and I get honest with him and ourselves and just say, okay, here we go. And we begin to walk in faith with God. Yet there is another group of people who approach life very differently. They try to be honest with themselves and the others even when they fail to do what is right. Such honesty may produce in them deep frustration with themselves and they tend to be painfully aware of their sin. Uh, That can be a problem in its own right. They may or may not know much about God, but if he does exist, they want to know him. I am suggesting there are people like that all over planet earth. Not just Christians, not just in our country kind of thing. Or uh, I believe that everyone on this planet, the Holy Spirit, is drawing. And is giving some measure of revelation. And this process that Jesus just described is taking place, whether it be in, in, in a remote region somewhere on the earth where they've never heard the gospel. When they wake up in the morning and they walk through their lives, God is reaching to them too, giving them light, some light. And then the question will be, because this decision will be made for them, how do I respond to the light I have? Do I tend to push it away because I like the way it is? Or do I walk in that light? One of the things when you uh, read some of these wonderful missionary books that a lot of our classes have, you'd be reading them by the way in those courses, but there's, there's like 40 some of them. And I'm reading my way through the whole 40 to my mother. And uh, I'm in Paul Brand right now. I'm a, a doctor who went uh, to India and did all the leprosy surgery and work. And it's fascinating. But what you'll find when you go around the world is even people who've never really heard will have a sense that there's, there's someone there. And those who are walking toward the light, looking toward the truth, walking in their integrity, going, I want to know what's real. They're all over the planet. We had someone not too long ago lead a, a, a young woman to the Lord. And her comment was, why didn't you find me sooner? My mother died last month, and I know she would have believed. Is that heart-rending? Mm-hmm. That is just, that just tear your heart out. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you find me sooner? And by, may I add, that will be one of the questions that the, that the human race will ask of the church. Why didn't you find us sooner? Why did you send crusaders with swords and not missionaries? Imagine the Middle East right now, if, if we had why didn't you come? Why didn't you tell us? Why did you come for our gold and our silver and, our, and, and make us slaves? Why didn't you tell us about Christ? That's the question. My mother died last month and I know she would have believed. Oof. Gladys Aylward, one of my favorite stories in, the, in the, these missionary stories. Uh, she, she tells the account of of uh, actually going to Tibet. This was later on in her, 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 her ministry there. She was in China. To, if you haven't read that story, boy, read it. Uh, but she, she was up in Tibet, wandering, led by the Spirit, literally out walking in the woods. And um, there's this rock, and she sits down, and she, the Lord tells her, sing. There's nobody around. So she's singing hymns. And she said, I think she had somebody with her. She had another woman traveling with these two women singing, singing in the middle of nowhere in Tibet. Out of the, out of the, out of the uh, forest or whatever comes a, a, a Tibetan monk. And he says, uh, you're Christians. He said, How do you know that? You're singing. Um, we can hear you. And would you come? And so she, he invites her and she says, we've been, we've been, we do you'd come. We've been waiting. Read the book. And she's no liar. She goes up there and they invite her to stay. She's there, I don't know how long, staying in that monastery and leading the entire group of monks to the Lord. They had been waiting. They knew there was a sense that someone was going to come and they would sing or something. And here she comes, boom. That happens all over the planet. This process of God preparing human hearts and and of people longing and walking toward the light they have they're doing it everywhere or turning away. In this passage, Jesus gives an important insight into why people do and don't come to God. He says the deciding factor isn't ignorance or even sin. And we, sh- and we should notice that it isn't predestination either. Now, for, I'm not just trying to be unkind here or throw something in. Jesus is saying, here is why People either reject me and the gospel or accept me in the gospel. Did you know right? Not what he says? It says nothing about a predestination. It says nothing about uh, there's good people and bad people, does it? It says those there are those who have the integrity to walk in truth, to be honest about life, and seek light, and there are those who are running away from it, not because they're ignorant. <laughs> But because they're rebellious and they don't want anyone telling them what to do. Not God either. By the way, isn't that the issues we are with each other too? Isn't that why we lie to each other? I don't want you to control me. I'll just tell you whatever I need to say. The same process we do with each other. But the problem is we do it to God. Well, both is a problem. It's fundamental honesty. Some people, even those who are ignorant about spiritual matters or are trapped in sin still preserve their integrity. You can have somebody deeply addicted to some drug or whatever going on and be honest about it. You can have somebody who's enormously religious and be totally dishonest. Can't you? They don't declare right things wrong or wrong things right. Their honesty acknowledges their sinful condition and, and realize they need a savior. Even if they have no idea who that might be, as I mentioned. But he also pointed out that there are others who lack this integrity. He said the root of their dishonesty is fierce independence. They don't want God or anyone else taking charge of their lives. They love being in control and have no intention of stopping certain behaviors. When God's light breaks into that their darkened world, they flee. They want to escape. This insight tells us that if you were to open the human heart and look inside, you would find one of two attitudes toward truth. There are those who hide from it and those who come toward it. Jesus explained this to Nicodemus in part to reveal to him why he had made the effort to come out to meet Jesus at night. He was showing Nicodemus his own heart. He told him he was a light lover. Did you notice this? Here is Nicodemus coming out in the middle of the night and Jesus says, you just came toward the light. You just came toward the light. And when he saw the light, saw light, the light, he came toward him. He didn't flee away. Jesus was also helping this religious leader understand why others on the Sanhedrin had also already begun to think of ways to extinguish that light. Uh, The problem wasn't ignorance and those men weren't innocent. The problem was they preferred darkness to light and were even willing to kill God's son to protect their lifestyle. He gives a parable explaining exactly that. We often assume that people don't come to God because of ignorance. We think if they just had more information, they would come to him. Yet when God looks inside the human heart, whether that person is ignorant of religious truth or knows much truth, he sees something even deeper than that person's religious knowledge. He sees a foundation of either honesty or dishonesty. He sees the choice that person has made about how he or she will respond to truth especially if that truth demanded personal change. It would be easy to hear what Jesus taught Nicodemus and assume that everyone falls into one of two categories. They are either light seekers or light haters and that they stay that way all their lives. But I think people are much more complicated than that. I think most of us shift back and forth between these two attitudes depending on our age and circumstances. There can be seasons when we are soft and open to God, when we are hungry to learn, and then there are seasons when we grow cynical and angry or prefer to pursue pleasure, when the last thing we want interfering in our lives is a moral God telling us what to do. In fact, our willingness to face truth can be even more specific than that. There can be certain areas within our lives where we're honest and certain areas where we are not. People are not monolithic. You don't have uh, some person who's a light seeker. And then some person who's a light hater. We move. You hear that statistic that between the ages of 4 and 14. 80% of all humans who will receive Christ do so between the ages of 4 and 14. In other words, the childhood years are soft years. They are years generally where people are open. Then people will tend to harden. And you say, oh, that's the end of it. Nope. We start getting, as we go through life, a crisis hits. A severe disease. I come to the end of life. And I don't know how many people I've led, and you probably too, over the years, have led to the Lord even days and weeks and hours before they die. They may have been hard and closed and, and, and shut off to everything, but boy they, they, as, as this is this is one of the reasons that I, I, know I resist this whole thing of suicide. people get frightened and want to escape, but it 's often in those painful years last days where they re, they really get honest again, and they begin to realize they face a death they have been denying all of their life that 's what people do they 're in denial they just think if they keep eating you know kale salad they're gonna live forever and you you you, yeah you laugh but they do I mean I'm all for kale salad I got one in the refrigerator at home but but aren't we preserving our mortality isn't that what this is all about it's as though I can delay my death forever but then there come these horrible moments when I can't and I'm looking it in the face and that's when people go, wait a minute, I need to. And, and, and now we are a light seeker again. I led my own family member, uh, the, uh, you know, a couple years ago, last 10 days. How many times I have been there with someone who's literally in a coma on, on a couple of occasions, preached the gospel to them. Let me tell you. Yeah, Preach the gospel to them, you know, in their ear and said, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand and i've had that comatose person squeeze my hand i mean really not just me thinking it twitched squeeze my hand and then die within the hour hallelujah light seeker light seeker hadn't been was now do you see what i'm saying this is why when your family members and your friends and all, and you can say, uh, boy, this one's stubborn. This is a light hater. Well, maybe at the moment. I, I'm, I, got, a, I got a text this last week or the week before from fa- a family member and, and uh, elsewhere. Someone, a family that I've been praying for, one form or another, for, for 40 years. I'm get, I've now had two of them. Come to the Lord. Another one, uh, I think, but and stuff's happening and stuff's moving. But I had the most incredible text uh, from one of the, uh, one of them, who's now become a Christian and pray, uh, you know and praying for, for one another one of the family. And and would I be willing to talk to him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long have I been praying for that family? Mm. And they haven't been light seekers. They aren't bad people. They're good people. Just not interested. All of a sudden, we are. You follow this? This is why when there's life, there's hope. You don't rule anybody out. God is a, the hound of heaven. And he, knows, he will pursue people to the last breath in their body. And it is not your place to play God and say it's over with. That is when I think that when, you, when, when Jesus warns us against condemning others, that would be it. And you say they're done, they're through, i you know, they're hopeless. That's condemning. That's the real condemnation. It is not your place or mine to play God. He is wooing and will woo. He is reaching out and, and there are seasons of life and people shift back and forth. By the way, I think you can move the other way too. I think you can have some prayer for a family member or something. If the person dies, you're, you're just put into shock and you go back into doubt and unbelief and anger. I've watched it both directions, haven't we? Yeah. So yes, there are two categories, but it's possible for the occupants of one to move from the other. Oh, I said that. Possibly several times over the course of a lifetime. What Jesus is explaining is the reason why the occupants of each category... Not types of people, occupants of each category, react to him the way they do. He's showing us that the cause behind the different responses goes deeper than ignorance. It's about the way that person responds to truth they don't like. This process takes place when any amount of light shines into darkness. But when God's son became a man, the brilliance of of the revelation of God through him made the process far more obvious and people's reaction much more extreme everywhere he went hearts were exposed people either loved him or hated him but what you and i need to realize is that this level of response didn't end when he ascended into heaven it still continues wherever he is present within his disciples that's because he really is still alive and dwells within every true believer. You might say we carry him with us wherever we go. You follow this? And where, whether or not we actually preach the gospel, that same intuitive recognition takes place. People draw near or pull away. Have you noticed? There's some people that just begin to open their lives and want, you to, talk, and want to talk to you. You, didn't, you don't even know why. You don't have to go running around with a, a shirt that says get right or get left or something on it. You, know, you, you, you can just be you. Yeah. Just be a nice person. And people get suspicious. Yeah. Just as much about what you don't do and etc. cetera. I, mean, I don't know what it is, but they'll figure you out. They'll spot you because you carry within you the aroma of Christ. Even in your bad day. In fact, I think sometimes in our suffering, the aroma is the sweetest. Wherever we go, and whether or not we actually preach the gospel, the same intuitive recognition takes place. Just like it did when he was physically present. Now, read these with me. Let's do Romans 8, 9, and 10 there. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you. Do you notice? You expect it has this Holy Spirit. He doesn't say Holy Spirit, does he? He says, what, what does he say? Spirit of Christ. Well, was that just a slip or is, he just a, is that a euphemism for the Holy Spirit? What's he talking about? Look at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I'll, let me read this one. I'll, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death. And to the other, an aroma from life to life. Any. Galatians 2.20, read that with me. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. These statements tell us that Jesus himself dwells within us. As the divine Son of God, He too, just as the Father and the Holy Spirit, is present everywhere. Not just seated at the Father's right hand in heaven. I don't know how that's possible. I just know it is. He meant every word when He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we carry him in us. We are light bearers and people still react the same way. There are moments when the Holy Spirit turns on the light and shows us truth about ourselves or God. And in those moments, we have no choice but to respond. And our hearts will dictate which way we go. Either we move toward the light Or flee back back into the darkness and try to escape. If we're honest with ourselves and willing to surrender to Jesus as our Lord. We'll come to the light. And he'll free us. Clean us. Heal us. And empower us. Until we begin to look like him. Until his light within us shines so brightly. People see him, not us. You know, that's where this is going. You and I are being made more and more like Jesus. So that he will be the firstborn among many brethren. We will look like him. Physically, but morally, our hearts, our attitudes, we become more and more Christ-like. As Paul said, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as, say, children of light. As children of light. Father God would you. Do this work in us. We come Lord to you and we hear the message. We hear you calling us. To absolute. Fearless honesty. With ourselves and with you. For because of the abundant grace of Jesus Christ, we have no need to be afraid. We can look situations in the eye for what they are. Put our hand in yours and begin healing. We praise you for who you are. You are such a good father, such a kind father. But you have a clear goal. You have predestined that we become conformed to the image of your beloved son. And we're thrilled. We want that. We want that. So Lord, have your way this day. We commit ourselves afresh. Holy Spirit, you have every opportunity. We open our hearts to you. Nothing is hidden. And we ask you to correct us, clean us, and grieve us when you need to. But we would be walking in the light, toward the light, not away. And then, Lord, we think of men and women, people we love, uh, who are maybe walking away from the light. There, there are people who, when they see a God who's going to correct them, run away. But, Lord, we, we, we have talked today, and we, you are challenging us to realize that can change. That can change at any point along their journey to be praying and to be believing and trusting you and not grow discouraged or, or afraid. So, Lord, we do. We simply say, you're God, we're not. And we're going to believe for the best. We're going to trust and hope and know that you long for that person's soul more than we do. So thank you, Lord, for turning light haters and having them grow weary and frustrated with, with their rebellion And to long for a Father, a good Father, a heavenly Father, and a blessed Savior. I thank you, Lord, for opening hearts in Jesus' powerful name. Hallelujah. If you agree with me in that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. com. That's LifeLessonsPublishing dot com. There, you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.